Thank you, guys. I, uh, yeah, I, I've had a, like too much coffee today, and I feel like a cat on amphetamines or something. I just, just a little too, a little too wired. A really good song. Thank you, guys. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about how often, really every day, pretty much, that we engage uh, the environment around us, the people that, that we see in the context of, of crowd. That we're always in this crowd. You know, there's all kinds of, of crowds. There's the work crowd. There's the school crowd. Uh, there's uh, even the church crowd, you know, that we, we see around us now. And it's really easy. Here's the thing. It's really easy to confuse our associations within all these crowds with the experience of authentic community. I mean, we get the idea because I'm around people a lot and, you know, yeah, I see folks everywhere I go and I'm always in the midst of these bigger groups, uh, but I'm in community. Crowds are drawn together by activities rather than really however seeking relationships or any kind of deeper meaning in our lives and that's what we're going to talk about today and you can see you know already that's kind of a theme um, for the for the entire morning you know as we worship together and I want you to think about you know the movie crowds and there's concert crowds and there's the crowd in Nayland Stadium which is one of the biggest crowds you'll ever find yourself in you know with UT football uh, or even basketball, but we come together on the basis or in the context of activity. You know, it's what we're doing that kind of pulls us together, and it's very specific according to whatever your interests are. I'm a car guy. I don't go to car shows or cruises or sub, you know, so much anymore, but I used to, and there's some people would be really engaged or interested in that, and other people go, yeah, that's kind of boring. I really don't care about that. So it, it's kind of peculiar for each one of us, whatever. Now I pull into my garage and I can close the door. And I see my neighbors and I get to know them, but I have to be intentional. I have to be very purposeful about it. And it's usually when we're all working in the yard at the same time that I can see somebody and talk to somebody or we happen to be walking or maybe there's, you know, like a neighborhood event. But other than that, I really don't know a lot about the people that I live next to and have lived next to for years and I think that's a snapshot of what's happening in our culture maybe that's one of the reasons why in a very recent Gallup poll it was revealed that Americans are among some of the loneliest people in the world and we have never felt more disconnected and lonely than we do right now Ever in history. That's because we belong. We were made, we were created to live in community. You were wired that way. You were designed that way. And that's why you feel that thing inside. So this lack of connection and all that goes with that stunts our, our growth in so many ways it impacts us, you know, relationally and emotionally and even spiritually. And I know we think of our faith as something that I'm very independent about and it's very personal 
and I, you know, it, it's just me and Jesus, and what happens in that relationship is really the important thing. And granted, that's absolutely true. I get that. But we were never meant to do even faith by ourselves. Never meant to do that all alone. It was always God's intention that we experience that uh, just together. So here at Calvary, it is our heart that this would become a place of connection. That this is where we would be able to connect the dots. That we would connect to God together. That we would connect to one another in meaningful relationships that get past and beyond. Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Fine. That we would begin to experience community. And in that, we would be able to love this city to love this university, to love your high school and the place where you work, and to connect all those to Jesus so that they would know you know, this, this love and this grace and this, this beauty in this day and age. Now, there are some things that, uh, that come against that, that shove back against that, some inhibitors to us being connected in real community. One of those is consumerism. You know, I think somebody, I think Doug mentioned that a moment ago. He said, our community group's actually talking about that because we see that already as young adults, and we've got this long path ahead of us. And a lot of us are pulled away, and we think that if I have more stuff, because our culture is driven, we're fueled by the goal uh, to get more to spend more, and if I can get that thing, you know, and whatever it is for you, if it's a device or if it's a piece of clothing, if it's a car, you know, and you, you think about it and you look at it, maybe you save up for it, maybe you don't bother saving up for it, you just charge it. <laughs> but you think, if I can, if I get that, yeah, then, uh, and for a little while that works, you know, just for a little while. But then something else comes along or you get tired of it or it just kind of loses its shine because that doesn't do it. The promise that if you buy another item, that's going to make you a little bit happier and you can skip relationships because you've got cool stuff. And we try to just dull that pain, you know, to quieten that feeling of loneliness and emptiness in our lives by just buying something else. And in effect... It never really works, does it? Because we focus on the exterior when true transformation, real change happens on the interior. So consumerism is a pretty weak way, and it just makes false promises about, you know, this is how you can avoid loneliness in your life is to have things for that. Another inhibitor, I think, to spiritual growth and to transformation uh, in the context of community is individualism. Now, we've always been, especially here in America, kind of proud of how independent we are, and, you know, and I'm my guy, and, you know, and I can do this, and we're, we're very, you know, self-sufficient in a lot of ways. But I think there's something, it seems to be on the rise, this radical individualism in our culture, which is committed only to self. And you see it especially expressed in social media, right? Everybody gets so offended so quickly. 
and we, we just become, we, we, and we use these exaggerated words like outraged. I am outraged. I am so offended. I'm appalled. And you think, really? Because we kind of build everything around us and we filter stuff through these layers of what about me? I'm at the center of my universe and all that you say or do affects me very deeply. I think it's a dangerous thing to see ourselves so independent and we come to believe at some point, whether it's conscious or not, I don't know, that we're just kind of self-sufficient. Yeah, I, I don't really need you other than the super con, you know, superficial context of, of a crowd. And that's really it. Another uh, block or wall or inhibitor, I think, is kind of connected to that. And that is isolation. And if you have a personality like mine, or maybe if you're kind of introverted a little bit, or maybe you just, you know, you're, you're not good at the whole crowd thing, there will be a tendency, there will be a temptation just to keep pulling back further and further and deeper and deeper into yourself. Because everything about me is personal. I talked to someone recently about their faith, and they said, well, that's, you know, that's private. I thought, no, it's not. <laughs> is it private for me to ask you? What, what areas are out of bounds you know, and what what is not? Can I ask you about, you know, do you, what kind of pizza do you like? Oh, I, I kind of don't want to talk about that. It's personal. And I know I'm being silly, but, you know, I think we've, we've kind of created something where we don't have the freedom just to have honest discourse, just to be able to talk and to listen and to engage with each other and to say, yeah, that's okay. There's this spirit of, isolationism it's I don't know if that's a word or if I just made that up but but I see that and here's another thing I see on the flip side that I don't think is coincidental check this out addiction all addiction occurs in isolation addictions occur in isolation when I begin to say hey it's none of your business when I don't need anything from anybody other than what I get from a crowd, then what happens is I am disconnecting myself from genuine community. And you know what follows on that that's hidden that you don't see when you begin to do that is that the end result is often that I even begin to disconnect from myself. But deep inside us, we all know, somehow we just in, instinctively know that we were made to be in relationships. The experience of authentic community is one of the purposes that God intends to be fulfilled by the church. If we don't do that, you're missing the mark. The church or a local community of believers is absolutely vital to your spiritual well-being. I had a roommate in college who loved the Lord, and uh, we both kind of, you know, came to Christ at the end of that Jesus movement, you know, and we were Jesus freaks and all of that. Um, 
but he was so disappointed by the hypocrisy that he saw in church and continued to see that and even among some spiritual leaders that he was in relationship with that he said you know i'm just i'm not going to church i'm not going to be a part of that i don't want to be a part of that but i'd like to be i'm still a christian and so i'm just going to do it by myself you can't do that we are the bride of christ and he has so created us and put us together in a way that whether we're flawed and messy and yes we're hypocritical and we're, we're just got all these issues going on. He put us together like a family. And this is how we move toward Jesus in a, in a deeper and a better way. Not in isolation. God expects us to need each other and to want to be together and to be there for one another. He's designed us to have a meaningful role in each other's lives. For that reason, in Hebrews 10, 25, uh, Scripture says this, Don't give up meeting together as some have gotten into the habit of doing. Some have just kind of stopped doing that. But let us meet together and let us encourage one another. Let us build up one another. That word encourage literally means let us come, come beside each other. Let's walk together. When I was in high school, I got my heart broken so bad by this girl and had a friend of mine who was there and he was walking with me through the experience. And I remember that I just went out and started walking the streets of Memphis where I grew up. And I was just so sad and so lonely. And I'm listening to all those sad songs over and over. You, okay. And he just walked beside me. And I'll never forget him doing that. And had this brown leather bomber jacket. And we were so cold. And I was so dramatic about the whole thing. And he just walked beside me and said very little. You know, that's what we do for each other don't have a lot of answers not sure what to say or do but I love you and I'm here and I'm not going to let you go through this by yourself that's what we do there was a lie told in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s that we're here for self-actualization that I need to find me or I need to gratify myself and we exist that's not true we're here to know God and, and to be in relationship with one another. And I want you to see that in this scripture that we're going to look at uh, today. That crowds sometimes can actually keep us from coming to the real Jesus and knowing his love. But friends connect us to Jesus at any cost. Real friends will do anything to connect. Here's the scripture. It's in Mark chapter 2, and it's the, I'm just going to use the first five verses, even though the story goes on. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So he's at home. He's just chilling. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came to him, uh, came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men and when they could not get near him because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay and when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son 
your sins are forgiven. And the story goes on. There's some people that objected and people in the crowd were really uncomfortable with what was happening. It was just so powerful and it was intimate and it was friends being friends. And I love this, this event because these paralyzed this paralyzed guy's friends would do anything. And can you imagine them standing there going, man, we're not going to ever get in here. Excuse me, pardon me. Ah, they're not going to let us in. And one of the guys gets an idea. He goes, hey, you know, I got an idea. And you know, because your friends do this or you're that friend. I had a friend named Frank, and he was the one in our, in our little peer group. He was always the one that says, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> There's always going to be trouble after that. So these guys climb up on top, you know, and they're looking around. They're going, you know, it's just some tiles here. I don't think, uh, you know, what? Oh, look, one came loose. And they just start, and, and you know, they're laughing. They're going, oh, we're going to be in so much trouble for this. And, and they're just tearing out. And all these people are down in there, and they're listening to Jesus. And stuff kind of falls on their head. And they're like, what? What is that? Looking at going, what is going on? These guys are doing, and this hole just opens up. And it just starts getting bigger. And they're looking in going, and then the next thing, you know, then, it, then the hole opens and it's clear for a minute. And the next thing they see is this stretcher. And it's got these ropes. And they're like, careful, careful, quick, whoa, not so fast, not so fast. And they just, and they start letting this guy, you know, and this guy's lying there and he's paralyzed on this thing. He's going, guys, 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 what, you know. And, and, and they're just like, yeah, we're going to get you to Jesus because that's what we do. You ever had friends like that? And they just, and they lower him, and he just keeps going, you know, and it's probably smooth. They're trying to do it smooth, and it jerks, and he goes, whoa, you know, there's nothing he can do. And finally, just with a plop, you know, he just lands, and dust comes up around him, and he's like, oh, and everybody's looking over there, like, did you just do that? And they're up there waving, we're going to come down <laughs> and see what happens next. And the owner of the house is like, hey, that's my roof. Like, yeah, really sorry, but this is important. This is a big, big, this is kind of a big deal. That's what friends do. They knew his struggle. And I think it's so cool that they continued to hang out with this guy. And, you know, everywhere they went, hey, you want to go, oh, I guess you don't want to bowl. I guess you don't want to, you know, whatever they would do. And they just took him along. That's what friends do. And you think about all the activities and the places and things they, hey, we're going to a concert. Maybe they didn't go to concerts. I don't know what kind of concert that would be. Maybe one of those big shofar horns, you know, and that would be, yeah, these guys are going to, the shofar people are going to be in town tonight. I got tickets. And they, and they would just take this guy. And it must have been inconvenient and it's kind of hard. And sometimes, you know, they couldn't get a table in the local cafe. I mean, it was just, but they took him. And he was a friend. And they knew the daily pain that he lived with and the frustration that it caused him. And that he knew that his heart's desire was to be whole. Let me ask you. How many people here today really know you? Who really knows you inside? Who have you let those walls and fences who knows where you hurt where you're struggling where you're being tempted where you need prayer where you're scared a central task of community is to create a safe place safe enough for the walls to be torn down 
safe enough for each of us to risk sharing our brokenness. Somebody that makes you scared or nervous even just to talk about that. And a lot of us look to the church crowd and we mistakenly think that the church crowd is community. But as long as I'm just hanging out in the crowd, the crowd will even keep me from experiencing authentic relationship and show me where I need to live for Jesus. Friends are the people who connect us, who we share with, we get involved with, and we invest in one another. Jesus said in Matthew 18, for where just two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. I understand what that means, but I think it's interesting he said two or three. Not two or three hundred, although he is, you know, here, and he is with us. But it's not about the crowd. This is so important. Jesus lives best, I think, in the intimacy of authentic community. I had just started going to church and had been going for several months, and I felt like God's calling me to the ministry and didn't know a lot about that, and I uh, went to a Christian college, uh, to Union University, where, where, where Colby's going now, and I knew two people. Back then, the, the school was even much smaller than it is now. There were about 1,400 students. I knew two people. I just met one of them, and we decided to room together, and the other guy I'd known since high school, and he was a year or two ahead of me, and he was in a fraternity, and you know, we, we were still friends and connected, but I just remember being by myself a lot. And there were these four guys in the same little like apartment complex uh, as I was, and they were meeting together, and they said, hey, we would like for you to meet with us. And I was a brand new Christian. These guys had grown up in the church. They knew everything, and I didn't know where anything was or how to do, you know, I just didn't know. They were still correcting my language. I was still saying words, and they're going, oh, well, you know, come here. <laughs> Don't say that. That's a bad word. Uh, but we began to meet together every Thursday night at 9 o'clock. It was very casual, and we would just talk together about the week where we had failed. And I remember being very guarded because I'm still trying to impress people, and I'm still living out of the shame and out of my past. And I don't want them to know some of this junk. And I don't want to, but I noticed they were just so freely sharing stuff and saying things. I'm like, oh my goodness, did you just say that? You just admit that in front of everybody? But there was no shame. And they would just say, oh yeah, me too, man. And then they would pray together and they would talk about these things. And each week we would take turns. And one week somebody would bring a scripture and a devotion. Uh, most of the guys in the group were musicians. So they would have a song to share or an idea. And, and we would just pray over one another. You know, very simple, very non-structured. But I can't tell you what that did for my faith and how it set this pattern for my life. In the midst of two or three, or even 12 or 10, I can experience the presence and the healing of Jesus that I can't get when I'm all by myself. The second question I wanted to ask you today, and I wrote this out, is who are your stretcher bearers? Who carries you? Who knows the stuff that goes on in your life 
that almost nobody else would know about. Who is so living with you in all your, your junk and your good stuff and your bad stuff that, and praying to you right now. And they're totally accepting of you and encouraging you and challenging you and even correcting you as you seek to follow Jesus. Who's, who's carrying you? I want you to watch this just a moment. There's not a person, person alive that doesn't want to build healthy relationships. Uh, I want it, you want it, we all want it. What, is it. what does it take to build a healthy relationship? Have you noticed how hard it is? Have you noticed how few relationships you have that you'd call profoundly healthy, meaningfully intimate, really good relationships, close relationships? What does it take to build one? I'm going to give you one thought. There's a zillion thoughts, but here's one. Are you willing to be authentic in a relationship? And I would draw a distinction between being authentic and being vulnerable. Let me talk about this just for a second. So often we think that, well, I'm going to get close to somebody. I'm just going to be vulnerable. You know what vulnerability sometimes entails? Just dumping everything in me in a way that pulls, that requires, that expects, that demands the other person to respond to me in a particular way. And so I poured out my guts and they didn't even listen to me. That's not a healthy relationship. I just give up on relationships. Maybe there's a different way to be real that is better described by the word authenticity than vulnerability. What does it mean to be authentic? My understanding of authenticity is this. Where am I on my journey of becoming a loving person? Am I willing to talk about that with you? You know, I really want to be close to you. I don't know what it means to love you well, but I do have some concerns. And maybe in my authenticity, I'm going to share a concern about you that's on my heart, and it comes out of my love. What does the Bible say? Truthing in love, that's the literal Greek, to speak the truth in love, but the truth in love is authenticity. To be able to say to somebody else, to say to my wife, honey, can I share with you something? I'm not just going to dump on you my feelings, but where I am on my journey, I'm really struggling with something and I'd like you to know about it. I'm not demanding you respond to it. I'm making known who I am to you, inviting you into an intimate relationship, sharing your impact on me, sharing what I struggle with, sharing how you bless me, sharing how good it is. You know one of the hardest things for guys to do? I suppose women too. It's really hard to say to a close friend, I can't tell you how much you mean to me. It's just wonderful to be with you. To say to your wife, I just love you so much. To say to a good friend, the way you impact me when I'm with you, I leave our conversations feeling really good. You know, it's a lot easier for me to tell jokes than to do that. But maybe authenticity requires sharing difficult things with a concern for the other and sharing positive impact and positive feelings for the sake of building a relationship. Maybe authenticity versus vulnerability is one key to think about as you long to build a healthy relationship. How often do you find yourself in a place where you have the freedom to be authentic and you're not so scared what everybody's going to think or what they're going to say next or what they're going to think about you? Most of us find that to be a difficult thing sometimes. Who's carrying you? Jesus even. Jesus knew that he could not fulfill God's purposes in his life. This is Jesus. And make it all the way to the cross without authentic community. Do you ever see Jesus all by himself in scripture? Jesus had friends who were carrying for instance, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the crucifixion, the night before, 
He could see this coming. He took 11 of his friends with him and he said this, my excuse me, my soul is overwhelmed. This is Jesus. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Watch with me. It's as if Jesus, the Son of God, is saying, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this unless you stand with me and unless you carry me. When he said, stand watch with me, that was unique language. He was asking them to watch where evil's going to attack. I need some defenders. I need some people around me. A watch was a particular term. It's like a sentry in a guard tower. I need you people to be towers around me, James Sullivan, because you're my friends and you're the ones I trust. Today we would say it like this, I got your back. These are the people who are the first line of warning and defense when evil begins to attack. These are the friends who can risk what you think about them and what your response and your reaction is going to be when they can pull you aside and say, what are you thinking? What are you, what are you doing? Listen, man, I love you, but it's those people. Jesus had those people. Can you identify the people in your life, the ones who would come to you no matter what you need? You know you could call them. Notice verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, my sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, isn't this a little strange? I don't know if you catch the, the, what happens there, this shift that takes place. Whose faith did Jesus see? Scripture says, when he saw their faith, the guys looking down through the hole in the roof, says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that interesting? He saw the faith of these four friends because they were the ones who were standing and fighting for this man because he couldn't do it himself. First thing I've discovered, am discovering about hanging out in authentic community is that your fears and your vulnerabilities and all of that actually become strengths. That's the synergy of this group faith. It's, it's the faith of this man's friends who bring him to Jesus and enable him to be transformed, to be healed. Another thing I noticed is that community provides specific and unique opportunities for ministry. There's things I've gotten to do in the context of community that I could never do uh, by myself. It gives us this, this platform, this place, the strength to be able to, to minister in personal ways that you couldn't do alone. Another thing I've noticed is, is that when we connect, we're challenged into these life adventures. We live new experiences and have these really incredible experiences and adventures together you would never have by yourself. The paralyzed man 
would never have been lowered through a roof with Jesus. I mean, you know, uh, you know, he talked about that for the rest of his life. Yeah, I couldn't. Well, what happened? Okay, you're not going to believe what my friends did. They tore this guy's house apart to get me down. I mean, that's that. It was probably on Instagram. I mean, it was you know, it was just this. There's this video with it. It was just this cool thing because love challenges you and encourages you and pushes you to do more than you would just do when you're on your own. Now, that can be for evil or neutral or for good, but in the context of Christian community, it can be for good. We used to go to Pickwick Lake, and there was this high cliff at part of the lake, and it was just rock, and it would go all the way down, and the thing is you had to climb up there, and you'd stand on the edge of it, and you would jump off. And I'd go there with friends, and I'd look down, and I'd think, whoa, it's a lot higher up here than it looks like down there. But some of your friends are already in the water, and some are behind you. There's no way you're not going to do it. Because to like a 15-year-old boy, you think, nah, better to die than to live with their trash talk for the rest of my life. So you just jump and think, okay, Jesus, here I come, you know. And you just hit the water and you go down and down and down, but you come up and now, you know, you wouldn't probably just be swimming along or just, you know, think, you know I think I'm going to climb up there and jump off. <laughs> How many times have you done stuff with friends that you would never have done by yourself? That can work in a very beautiful way when we push each other into these new adventures. You know, one of the good things, too, about living in community, living connected lives, is that we receive feedback to our lives. Because when you're by yourself, you know, you convince yourself and, and your whole reality and you think it's this way and you need somebody to come along and go, uh, actually, yeah, you got something right there. Community of faith is just is crucial in that way because of the support and the direction we get. Ephesians 3.10 says, and it affirms this, that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. How is God's wisdom made known to you? In the context of community. Because other people have a voice and they can speak into it. Because hate to tell you, but you're not always right. <laughs> You're not always seeing it accurately. You need somebody else to say, you know, here's another way to look at that. And this little thing then goes off in your head and you go, oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. Or really? You think? Yeah, we think. And it's one of the things that we're challenged to fulfill God's purposes in our life. Jesus, remember, the son of God, <laughs> he knew that he couldn't do it without just the daily crowds with 3,000, with 5,000, with all these people around. He knew he needed to be intimately connected in a small group. So why do we think we can do it on our own? Yeah, I don't need, well, Jesus needed it. You know? Here are a couple of suggestions of how you can practice community. Just suggestions, because you may be thinking, how do I get started? Where, where does this begin? One idea is Maybe to join one of our Bible study groups on Sunday morning. There's something connecting. There's something bonding about hearing the word and learning principles 
and figuring out how to live, that there, there's something about that that gives us a foundation. The other idea is what you've already heard said today, get in a community group. There's nothing magic about it. It's very simple. It's really easy. We have existing groups. We have new groups. But even groups that have been meeting for a while, if you're not careful, those of you who are in groups, just, just, to, just to throw up, you know, like a little warning thing is that you can become shallow, right? It can become superficial over time and routine and you kind of get in the habit and you just meet and you, and you think, wait, we're not getting any deeper. We're, we're not going anywhere. So, uh, you, you know, you need to, to, the next time you meet as a group to, to say, okay, fall is starting and we're getting, we're beginning again. Let's really affirm with one another what it means to be connected. What Larry Crabb just shared, authenticity and vulnerability. How much are you willing, how free has your group gotten to this place where you can share together depending on, you know, the liberty that's there and how connected you are. And it may not happen in your first time together, but as you meet and you begin to feel safe and you begin to feel connected, that comes. That's a beautiful thing. I'll see you listen to just one more thing. I've done a lot of public speaking over my years. And one of the more common comments that I get after I speak, I've heard this a thousand times in the last 30, 40 years, you're so vulnerable. And I always kind of chuckle inside because my vulnerability when I'm talking to a thousand people is carefully chosen. Is there ever a place where my vulnerability should not be carefully chosen? Should I reveal all my personal struggles to a particular friend? Is there somebody that I should be wide open with? Well, let me say two things about that. You've got to start, let me sound religious here for a minute, because I am kind of religious, I hope. You've got to start with God. You've got to become so real with Him. Don't start praying by saying, Dear Lord, I adore you. Now will you please bless me in the following way. How about saying, Dear Lord, I'm in a bad mood. I've been praying to you about this for years and you've done nothing about it and I really don't know how to handle you. I'm not sure if I even like you at this point. Is that okay? That's called prayer. That's called relating to God. Now there's a certain level of disrespect that can veer over into blasphemy. I'm not recommending that, but I am recommending authenticity. I'm recommending that you be who you really are, sharing everything within your heart. Why not? He knows already anyhow. That's point one. Point two, I would hope, this is a principle I'm living by in my life, never go to your grave with an unshared secret. Most of our lives are untold stories. I want to suggest you need to have at least one friend. It would be nice if you had two or three, but at least one friend that you share everything with. Now that's going to be a burden for your friend, and I'm going to be pretty selective. There's lots of folks I wouldn't tell much to at all because I don't trust them. But I have a couple of friends that I'm willing to share everything with. I think that's important because then the power of shame is weakened, friendship becomes real, and the life becomes just a little bit better for the purposes of God. Don't go to your grave with an untold secret. Community groups are a great start in healing willing to carry each other, who stand on one another's behalf, and sometimes we're willing to get messy and even get risk, you know, hurting ourselves to talk about the real things that are going on in our lives. 
So let me, let me land this. Let me wrap this up. What, what does Calvary want to look like? What does that mean for us? Here's what I wrote, and I, I, I'm just going to tell it to you word for word. Um, we, this is Calvary. We are a collection of groups of people who are seeking to put the needs of others ahead of our own. We're servants, ministers to one another, who watch out for each other, care for one another, and encourage one another to live for Jesus, to be more like him, and to share his love. And then I desperately learn these words. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. In this church, you can't get to know everybody equally. And God doesn't even expect you to. But you can connect with a community and make it your goal to build them up. Because that's what love does. That's what love does. God wants us to leave our isolated life to join together in uncommon community for our sake but for the sake of connecting diverse communities to a lifestyle that's devoted to Jesus and for the sake of our, our teammates for the sake of the kingdom for the sake of this community something very compelling about people who are willing to connect. I think it's one of the things that's missing and longed for in our society. Whether you're on the UT campus, in the halls of your high school, your job, your neighborhood, even in your own family. To be connected. How will you intentionally and purposefully 